Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Part of my seminary education was that we in a theology class would go to one of the Catholic high schools down the street from the seminary and we would get to interact with their religion class. It was kind of a neat experience, a cross-cultural, cross-denomination, ecumenical conversation. And you got to talk about how Roman Catholics were different than certain denominations. And usually the conversations were just life-giving because um, you got to see how young people thought. And you also learned some skills of how to answer tough questions that um, you ask. I was doing my particular shtick in this, my one session of the class, and we'd had a good conversation, and it was almost the end of the class, and this young lady in the back of the, the row raised her hand, and she said, in your church, do you have saints? In the Roman Catholic Church, there are saints. As a matter of fact, there are a calendar of saints, and every day you can, there's a liturgy to a saint. You can learn about the saint. You can pray to the saint. There's just a lot going on in the Roman Catholic Church about saints. And there is actually a process called beatification by which you become a saint. The first step in becoming a saint in the Roman Catholic Church is you have to die. Step number one. Then, then the process begins where it has to be verified that while you were alive, you were the author of or the catalyst that caused a miracle. After your death, if someone is praying to you as a saint and a miracle has occurred, that's validation that you are a saint. And there are several steps you have to go through and you go through this process of beatification after you're dead and the Roman Catholic Church declares you a saint. There is exceptions to this. I think they've shortened the period. You used to have to wait five years after you were dead to enter the beatification process. I think they've shortened it to three. Mother Teresa and Pope John Paul II were both, that was waived and they became instant saints. So that was the background of her question. Do you have saints in the Protestant church? And I looked at her and I said, yes, we do. She was kind of quizzical looking at me like I'd never heard that Protestants had saints before. This is new knowledge. Well, who are your saints? I said, I am one. And she looked at me like, oh, I really don't believe this now. You are a saint. And you didn't have to die. You are one by virtue of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, Paul, 
called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ." Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wait a minute. People in Corinth were called to be saints? The church at Corinth is one of the few places where men were the founding people of the church. And the church at Corinth, guys, happens to be one of the most dysfunctional churches in the entire New Testament. If you want to see how not to do it, you go and you read about the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth, the administrative board chair was sleeping with his daughter-in-law. They would have church-wide fellowships called love feast and people would come in and they would eat all the food and they would drink all the wine. Yes, they would drink all the wine at the church and they wouldn't leave any of the love feast for the poor, poor folks. They were always fighting like this. I'm for Apollos, I'm for Paul, I'm for Christ. They were not what you and I would call saints. They're just kind of regular people trying to live out their experience of Jesus Christ. Trying to do the best they could with the knowledge and the faith they had. When you start digging into the stories of the saints, those in scripture, you wonder, how in the world could they call these people saints? They were flawed. They were not perfect. No committee would dare say they were a saint. Yet there they are, lifted up as saints in the church. The 11th chapter of Hebrews, with the exception of Enoch, is a list of dubious characters. Church history is a list of dubious characters. That gives me hope. That means I might fit in. I might belong. So when we say we believe in the communion of saints, the Apostles' Creed has made a turn. We've we've had great theological statements. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church. And now we are saying, I give my heart, because that's what, what the word credo means, I give my heart to the notion of saints. And every time I say, I believe in the communion of saints, I get hopeful because I believe in you. There is a word in this, and it's the word communion. It's a big theological word that is translated many places in the New Testament by the word fellowship. Fellowship. You know what fellowship is, don't you? Happens at vacation Bible school on Friday. 
involves pound cake and red Kool-Aid. That's fellowship. Fellowship is when people get together and they, they, they rub Christian fur against Christian fur and, and, and they, 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 they eat. But the Bible knows of another concept of fellowship. It, it's built around that word of communion, of koinonia, of sharing all things in common, of living out your call and your life in community with others who are living out their call and their life in communion with others. One day late um, this week, Rick Rowe had a, a story on the news, his stories from the heart. And it was about a, a guy that lives in the thriving metropolis of Homer, Louisiana. He grew up in Homer, and as with anyone who very often grows up in a small town, his one goal was to get out of Homer, Louisiana. So he went to school and trained as an engineer, went to work and, and developed a, a process for injecting plastics and molding the injections ran his own company, made all kinds of money, sold his company for lots of money. And at the age of 44, found himself sort of retired back in Homer, Louisiana with a wife, three daughters. And so he said to himself and he said to his family, what is it I want to do with my life? What, what is the calling I need to live out? And the story Rick Rowe had was of this fellow who has spent the last 30 years of his life teaching mathematics at Claiborne Academy. 30 years as a high school math teacher. You gotta be called to do that. 30 years of calling basketball games and football games and being involved in Claiborne Academy in all kinds of, of ways. The fellow's name is Ed Watson. And when you listen to the story unfolding, it was like, this, this guy really lived it out. And then the, the hook was the man has spent 30 years teaching at Claiborne Academy and has not received one paycheck in 30 years. He did it all as a volunteer. How would our lives be different if we followed the calling God had placed on our lives? How would we be different if we lived out this fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this communion of saints. The word communion, as I said, is a word that carries a lot of weight. Second Peter says this, thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become partakers, there's the word koinonia, may become partakers of the divine nature. 
as you become a doer of the word, as you live out these Bible studies you're going to, as you live out the word you hear preached and taught, you become participants. You have fellowship with the divine nature. God starts working in you in miraculous ways. You take on Christ-likeness. That's what it means to be a saint. To start taking on Christ-likeness. Here from 1 John, we declare to you what we have seen and heard so you may have fellowship. There's the word koinonia, so you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship, there it is again, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim that you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with him, while we're walking in the darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have koinonia, fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. So when I say I believe in the communion of saints, I'm saying I believe in you. I believe the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. I believe the power that you have to transform and change the world. I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you, the saints of God. I don't have time to be a saint. I'm busy. That's what happens to us, doesn't it? We get busy doing all the good stuff we do. We get busy going to work. We get busy being a spouse. We get busy being a parent. Oh, my Lord, and then your kids will bring you grandkids. You talk about being busy. It's exceptionally busy and expensive then. And we're doing all this worthy stuff. And we get to God and we say, God, I've got about three minutes to give you. Being a saint of God is having the communion of the Holy Spirit. It's about having communion with one another. It's about this weird company of those who only belong because Jesus Christ said we all belong. It's about fitting in in ways we never imagined. You're a saint. You are a saint. Despite what your in-laws say about you, you are a saint. You. Not the person sitting next to you. You, the one living behind your eyeballs. You're a saint. And I believe in you. And you're my hero. I want some heroes in our world again. Oh, I want heroes back. I remember watching Batman and Robin back in the 1960s. Yes, Batman and Robin came on twice a week, once on Wednesday, once on Thursday. In that first 30 minutes, Batman and Robin get in a lot of trouble and there'd be a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. 
the Joker or somebody else was about to solve Batman and Robin in half and you wondered would they get out of it, tune in tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, to see if Batman and Robin get out of it. And they got out of it every time. Batman was a comic book character. He was a hero. He was good. There was no deviation. There was no existential angst about whether or not he was good. And now I try to watch a Batman movie and I go, huh? Is Batman good? Is Batman bad? What's Batman doing taking on Superman? I want to know what happened to the world of heroes. A saint is a hero. You are someone's spiritual hero. That's right. People are watching you to see how you live, to see how you live out your faith in Jesus Christ. They don't want to read the instruction book. They want to see pictures of how it's put together. You're that picture. Yeah, you, the saint. My mama raised three of us by herself. And I'm quite certain it was a challenge because I know the three kids she raised. Y'all, we were so bad. The deacons at the Baptist church used to go out behind the church and throw dice to see who got to shepherd our family. You lose, you get them. Sunday school teachers would bribe each other to take us. Oh no, I got the DeGraffin Reed kids. You want them? I've had them for a year. That's about all I can do. We were bad kids. Bad. I'm talking bad. That's why I'm a preacher. I'm familiar with sin. One Wednesday night, my single mama took all three of us to the Wednesday night fellowship supper. Oh, my Lord. I learned a lot about my mother in those fellowship suppers. First of all, her reach exceeded her arm length. She could get you at the end of the table, even though theoretically it was not possible. The other thing I learned, this is true of all mamas, there is a universal nerve in the elbow, and you can control a child with the universal nerve in the elbow if you grab it just right. And all moms must know how to grab that nerve. Katie could shut you down real quick. So there we sat at the official eight-foot fellowship table. Me, my brother, my sister, my mother on that side of the table. I have forgotten who was on this side of the table, but I know at this end of the eight-foot table sat the Reverend A.B. Van Arsdale. He'd been the pastor of my home church for about, well, he's been the pastor 25 years when he finally retired. He'd been there quite a while. And on this end of the table sat the Reverend Archie Hampton. Archie was the Christian education director, part-time choir director, all-around good guy. The DeGraffin Reed kids at the preacher's table. 
I wonder if we'd done something bad the week before and been sent to the preacher's table on Wednesday night and I just didn't catch it until right now. But whatever, there we were. Supper went fine, the meal went good, the kids didn't destroy anything, didn't spill anything, did not use language they had heard spoken in the kitchen. We were good. About halfway through the meal, Archie Hampton said to Brother Van, Van, throw me a roll. There were rolls on the table. Brother Van picked one up and tossed it to Archie. And the three DeGraffenried kids went, aha, big eyes, we saw the preacher throw food. Guess what's going to happen when we're alone with mom? Brother Van looked at us because, yes, we were processing what we had just seen. And he said, Katie, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I just did. People watch you. They listen to you. They want to know what it means to be a Christian. They want to know what it means to be a Methodist Christian. And they find out through you. When we affirm in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the communion of saints... We're saying we believe in the saints that have gone before. We believe in the saints today. We believe in the saints that we are help raising in this next generation. We believe in the power of God available through the saints of God through you. So when I say it, I think of you and I believe in you. For me, you are the saints of God. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we are really not sure we signed up for this saints thing. We would just like to slide by being unnoticed. Yet knowing within us is a desire for more a desire for a deeper relationship, a desire for a a walk where we would pour out our lives as an offering to you. Oh God, help us as we live our lives to live with the knowledge that we are saints, that people see Jesus in and through us. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.